I recently uh, came over a quote of uh, Eugene Cash somewhere on the web and I thought I'd like to share it with you because I found it very funny and, and at the same time very powerful. Very, very short quote. And it said, uh, if it's in the way, it is the way. And I thought I've heard that in so many different uh, versions, that same uh, no truth, and, and that was a very good one, very succinct. And I'm sure you've heard that also, you know, like, it's not about the goal, but it's about the path, and, and also even the teaching of the Buddha, you know, it's all kind of condensed into the Noble Eightfold Path, which has all, you know, what we need for practice in it. So the path, obviously, is you know, is the most important uh, way because that's where we can, uh, you know, apply our practice and that's where we can show, you know, how skilled we are in the practice and how, you know, how far we have been penetrating into the Dhamma because it's, you know, in, in the way how we walk the path. This is where we learn and this is also where we make mistakes. And um, you know, in order to walk a path, we, we need to kind of know where we're going. We need to have a goal, and you know, we need to have a, a direction. Otherwise, it's you know, it doesn't make much sense, you know, to set out and and start walking. But at the same time, if we get too much, you know, caught up in the in the goal, we we forget about that the real uh, essence of the path is in always in every moment, and how we you know apply ourselves to what we meet on the path. That's what the practice is all about. It's not about you know creating that goal or uh, you know making that goal happen. But it's more about how we meet whatever is in the path, which what is on the path. And this is where we kind of, through the repetition of that application, we, we kind of you know, become the goal rather than reaching it. Because you know, the goal is not about a certain place, but it's about enlightenment. And enlightenment is not something you know, which we have to go and fetch somewhere or go and you know, reach somewhere, but it's something which already always here, but it's covered over by, you know, myriad different ways of conditioning and, um, you know, greed, hatred and delusion, shortly speaking. It's, it's the jewel in the lotus, you know, which is covered up in mud and the practice is about, you know, removing that which is covering over this jewel, this uh, in a vast way of, of being and awareness itself. But then at the same time, you know, we need we need a goal. We need where we are go- We need to know where we are going. And a very beautiful way of, of um, describing that is, you know, when we are walking on the path, we have to. We have to look onto the path so that we don't, you know, fall over different 
obstacles which are on the path, but at the same time, if we get too absorbed in that, we, we lose direction. So we need also like a guiding star, which is our intention, our values. We need to reflect on those regularly, otherwise we get too much poked down into the, you know, that which is in the way, so to say. Or at least we experience it to be in the way. So looking, you know, looking onto the path, not falling into the different pits and running against walls and things. And at the same time, you know, looking up at the guiding star and knowing where we are going, but not getting lost in, the, in that looking up. Yeah. You know, not getting lost in ideals, because those are also an obstacle on the path. We are getting too lost in ideals, have too high expectations of ourselves and of and of other people. It's it's a recipe for despair, basically. And often in a monastic life, people tend to have very high ideals when they come, and it can be very sobering, you know, to to enter such a setting which holds such a strong archetype and then you know meet normal people there who have you know who have maybe very strong intentions and and good values but still they are human beings and they put themselves you know, in such a container in order to you know get to know themselves better and uh, because they might you know, need some extra help in terms of discipline that they come and live in a monastery like we do. So expectations, you know, what's the difference between goals and, and expectations? Because when they are originally, I think they all start, you know, from a, from a, a good idea, maybe from a, you know, a dream we have or an aspiration we have, intention we have. And, and then, you know, if, it, if we get too kind of fixated around it, it loses its value and it, it becomes like a dead thing, which is, is more like a prison than, than an aspiration. And expectations are, are you know, can be very deadly for for one's practice. And I experienced that myself, you know, from time to time, when I, I, you know, realized again and again how much I was actually caught up in, in certain expectations which I had about, you know, how my life will unfold, how my path has to unfold, and getting very fixated around that. Which, you know, maybe once it was it was a goal, but then it, it becomes like fossilized or petrified, you know, over time. And also because, you know, holding it so tightly, it kills it off somehow. It, it makes it um, counterproductive. And, and then, you know, we feel like uh, all of the joy and the, um, and the energy is kind of... Um, it's getting lost in, in, in the tightness with which we hold to these expectations. And, you know, we feel like we deserve uh, a certain outcome. Or, you know, we, we have this sense of entitlement. It has to be that way. And then, 
you know, because of that a lot of frustration can come up, you become irritable, anxious, and all these kind of different qualities, you know, which don't make us a very nice person to, to live with. It's very important, you know, to look from time to time, you know, how how we doing it really in our in our life. You know, do we feel uh, that our aspirations, which we consider to be aspirations, that they become, have become very heavy over time, and you know that uh, that there might might be a lot of unconscious material there, which which is underneath, you know, which we don't dare to look at. So we just keep on grasping at these this expectations because it, it feels something solid, you know, something we can somehow hide underneath. You know, and then, you know, really kind of opening up and, and you know, being honest with yourself about some of those expectations we have can be quite embarrassing, really, you know, to notice, you know, what we didn't want to consciously acknowledge, you know, certain, uh, maybe very early, you know, patterns, you know, from, from childhood which we have developed and just, you know, carry with us for years on end because it's uh, a very humiliating or humbling, rather, you know, to to be honest with oneself. So, you know, an aspiration or an intention which is which is basically, you know, uh, the values, you know, the, the, those principles which we very much value in our life, we can bring them into our daily life by having clear intentions, you know, how we want to move forward in life, how we want to walk on the path. And then if we do have certain goals, you know, we can hold them in this bigger context of our intention. And if we, you know, if we are able to do that, then if we reach the goal or if we don't reach it, that's not the point. But, you know, that we live from our intention. That's what really, you know, can bring us, like, happiness and, and, and contentment about our practice. And then, you know, if we reach the goal, that's like an extra bonus and that's wonderful. But what really matters is that we are, you know, living and enacting our intentions. And that's where the happiness comes from. And, you know, feeling uh, that we are really on track with our own values. And we are not, you know, easily lured into, you know, becoming a slave to, to a certain future which we think we, we need to have. So, you know, living in this bigger context of, of uh, having a clear intention about, you know, how we want to walk this path. You know, how we want to, you know, be meeting life, how we want to meet other people and how we want to meet our own uh, inner experience. And if we, you know, if we can do that, or at least, you know, if we can be honest with ourselves when we make a mistake, or honest with others and, you know, go and, and ask for forgiveness if we do make a mistake, then from that we, we feel we can live very well with ourselves. And we, we, can, we feel kind of happy about just that uh, 
capacity, you know, of being able to live in a way which makes makes me feel um, uh, contented with with my own, you know, integrity. Really, how I how I meet life, and that in itself is actually much more rewarding, you know, than me than kind of you know, arriving at a certain goal, because mostly, you know, when we arrive or when we get what we want, once we are there, we already want something else. So there's no lasting kind of, you know, satisfaction to be found in that way. It's just realizing that the, you know, meeting our desire from, from a... a you know, clear understanding and, you know, being able to, to work with it is, is kind of more, much more satisfying than actually, you know, having the desire fulfilled because what, what is so interesting about desire is more that it's not about getting what you want, but it, it's that, that feeling of desire itself which can be quite, you know, exciting. And then once, you know, we, we get that thing or we get that person or we get that position or so, or whatever it is, you know, what we desire, the desire immediately jumps onto the next thing because it's, it's, it's a certain, you know, momentum in, in, in the mind, you know, which, which always needs to have something which is in the future. Otherwise... You know, if it's if it's here, if we have it, uh, I mean, you can you can see that very well. And if you get a, a nice, you know, dish, you, you always you know love to eat very much. Once you you get that dish, you sit down and you start eating it. After the second or third bite, you're already starting to think about something else. I'm sure you have have observed that in your own um, experience. Then it goes to the next thing, and when you get that next thing, it's the same again and again. Because it's this momentum which keeps us going actually from lifetime to lifetime. It's a very intense uh, energy, you know. And only by meeting it and looking it square in the eye, you know, and feeling it in, in the body and in the mind, <coughs> that's how we can, uh, you know, transform that energy into wisdom really just being you know being with the unpleasantness of that momentum which it actually is quite unpleasant once we stop and really turn towards it we notice it but if we just keep running with it it has like a certain excitement to it because it has a purpose makes us feel kind of we know what we're doing it's it's a kind of um, you know we feel kind of quite solid and and one pointed and it gives us a feel of a of a certain feeling of safety. But when we start penetrating into it, when we're stopping and and turning towards it, what we do realize is that it is actually like there's a subtle unpleasantness to it, which we normally are not aware of it. And we all are very much, you know, under the sway of it, kind of bombarded by the media, day and night. And 
you know, basically getting the message from the culture, if you don't want something, you must be stupid kind of a thing. Because that means you are, you are contented with what you have got and that is definitely not something which can be right. Because there's so many things you don't have. There's so many things out here you could have, so if you don't want any of those things, you must be really <laughs> from behind the moon or something like that. So this, you know, and it's kind of funny, you know, when, when I'm saying it, but it's actually, that's exactly how it is. And it's, it's, it's very, very unconscious. And then to make that conscious, we have to really make an effort and, and really stop long enough and look at it. Yeah, and on the Bodhi we sometimes, you know, marvel uh, these huge container ships, you know, which are coming in from China, isn't it? They come in, I mean, they're so huge, they're like, you know, big kind of uh, boxes of, and they're coming in, coming into the bay, you know, and then they go back to China again with, probably with, filled up with garbage, really. And, you know, when I see those ships coming in, they are so ugly to look at, and they are so, you know, they have nothing to do with a ship, I mean, anymore, you know, because ships and boats are very beautiful, but they're just like huge boxes, you know, coming over the ocean and kind of dumping their content somewhere in Oakland or so. It's for me such a, a, a good illustration about that, um, the deadening of uh, of a you know, desire which isn't really um, investigated into. It is like a a curse, really, you know. And our planet, I mean, is is crying out, you know, under this uh, curse of of desire which is not, you know, reflected upon, which is just like kind of going with the momentum without any uh, discernment or any interest really in what is underneath it. And Mimit has gone so so crazy and out of proportions, you know, that we are, you know, we are, we are kind of uh, destroying our own uh, mother, you know, planet Earth, and we are on the brink of wiping ourselves off and you know, taking many other species with us. So, you know, this this um, desire energy is really um, not to be taken lightly because it can, uh, you know, make a lot of havoc and a lot of you know, destroying so many lives. Historically, I mean, it's always been like this, but at the moment, you know, it's just like the proportions are getting ever more gigantic and scary. And then the addiction to it, you know, the ignorance is just like, you know, spinning that wheel ever faster and faster. And people are so distracted, you know, with responding because in order to be able to respond, you know, you have to... <clears throat> run very, very fast. There's no time to actually stop and, and look what we are doing and, you know, have enough awareness to take in the information which is coming, you know, and telling about what's going on in the world. But people are so distracted that 
it doesn't land anywhere. It just goes in one ear and goes out the other ear and that's it. According to the, the teaching of the Buddha, the, this human incarnation and this human birth is considered the most fortunate one you know, for, for reflecting on, on desire, for example. Because you know, we have uh, at least people in this part of the world or in many other Western countries we have the good fortune, you know, we have enough um, things and enough safety and security so we can, you know, we can go out and we can get different teachings, we can read books, we can understand what we are reading, have enough health and enough uh, food and also what we need for that in order to reflect on our lives. And uh, it's like a good mixture between pain and pleasure so we can learn a lot from it if we choose to do so because there's many other realms you know according to the buddhist cosmology lots of i think 26 different levels of heavens for example where the situation is so pleasant that you know beings born into into one of those heavens they don't learn very much because there is Whatever they, if they think about something, it, it comes to them. So there's not enough suffering in order to, to learn. And then in the, in the realms which are underneath the human realm, the, you know, the hell realms, how they are sometimes called, you know, there's lots of suffering and beings in those realms, they are so caught up in their suffering. They don't have much, they don't have any space, you know, to learn from it. So, we are very fortunate with this human birth. But it seems to you know that as a <coughs> as the human race we are now making this run into a hell run really. We we had the potential to make it into something much much more pleasant. But somehow, you know, even we have all of these gadgets and technologies and some of them are truly amazing what, what we have been able to, to create with this, you know, potential we have for, for great creativity and intelligence and skill. But we somehow didn't manage to to use them very well because we, we are not aware about the strength of this, uh, what's called the defilements. Greed, hatred and delusion because we're getting so used to being under the sway of them and bogged down by them, that we don't use the real the potential we do have. And, and then, you know, we have the tendency we're getting stuck in, in certain expectations which, you know, which are kind of fossilized or petrified, as I said before, because, you know, if we truly have goals and, and if we... If we see, you know, that our goals don't bear the fruit which we have been, you know, going for, then we have to shift the goals. We have to change the goals as we go along the path. We have to adjust them, you know, to our intentions and to our values. But some of that is not happening, you know. We still operate in the same way, even, you know, more and more people seem to realize, you know, that actually, you know, the way how we are operating, the way how we live is not bringing us closer to the goals we are looking for. So there is something that is profoundly off, off, kind of 
of kilta, so to say, of it's not in, in harmony with with our intentions really, but somehow we are not noticing it. Because I think, you know, the, the deepest intention is is happiness, you know, for all sentient beings to live happily. And, you know, we can only live happily if we live really those deeply, you know, human values of uh, of sharing and of, of um, you know, of taking care of, of one another and taking care of, of our life. This is what truly brings happiness, you know, to really live in connection with the world around us and with other people. That's where happiness can really come from. The second time in my life, you know, when I met a monk, which was which, which became my first teacher, Arjun Buddhadasa, there's a picture of him here on the wall. He was a, a Thai forest master in, in the south of Thailand, um, near Suratani, near the Malaysian border. And I met him there in the in 1988, and you know when I saw him for the first time, what really struck me very deeply was that that quality, you know, that he I felt like he was somebody who wasn't swayed around, you know, by all of the different situations or stresses or people or whatever he would meet on the path, I had a feeling he was very much, you know, settled within himself and he wasn't shaken by by the different things which he would meet in his life. And I felt you know he was really kind of deeply anchored within his own values and in his own intention. And he was, you know, very clearly he knew where he where he was going and nothing could pull him off track, so to say. And that was a very kind of attractive uh, energy, you know, which he, which he kind of exuded, but just sitting there, he didn't say anything. But it was very clear, you know, looking at him, how he, his presence, it was like, you know, I thought, for the first time I thought, this is exactly, you know, what I was always looking for when I was trying to fulfill my desires. I always thought, you know, if I get this, if I have that, then I'm going to be like him. Only, you know, I didn't, I did not uh, have enough wisdom, you know, to, to um, really understand. But intuitively, I, I, I got it when I saw him. And that made me very interested, you know, in, in the way he was living and because he was a monk. So it was, you know, I, I just, it, that attracted me to, to get into Buddhism, to make a retreat and to, and to start, you know, taking in some of the teachings. This, you know, what's in the, in the scriptures is called the unshakability of the heart. You know, this, this uh, equilibrium or equanimity. You know, which is, is a quality which is inherent in awareness itself. And, you know, we all are aware beings. So, you know, this, this equanimity is available for us when we are ready, you know, to, to let go. So it's, it's not something, you know, we have to make happen. It's, it's more like something we have to lay 
open. You know, we have to kind of pull away all of those layers of expectations and desires and wants, you know, which we have and, and you know, look into them and, you know, understanding that they are actually, you know, keeping us from what we are really looking for. And then, you know, once we are ready to really understand that, then, you know, equanimity is, is the result of it. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we are not meeting, you know, whatever we are experiencing within ourselves in terms of, uh, you know, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, our sense experience. But, you know, meeting it in, in a way which, where we're knowing that this, this is uh, temporary. This is like impermanent and this is... Uh, not something you know we have to really react from but it's something we we need to know and then uh, let it go you know the difference between responding to a situation and reacting is is very is very Big actually, and responding comes from from uh, an openness, and reacting comes from you know a, a chain that we have, and there's always like a, some kind of a fear underneath, you know, fear of of not getting what we want or getting what we don't want. And if we are not very caught up in this, then we are not missing out on this this openness and this um, a much bigger view onto our experience, you know, which is informed by our deepest intention and values rather than by our expectations. And then even if we get what we want. It won't bring us real, you know, lasting um, fulfillment. You know, if that's the main goal of our practice, if that of our lives, really, if that is, you know, kind of realizing our potential, then you know, whatever we meet on the path won't be an, an obstacle, but it's it's an opportunity. And. You know, I know this can all sound a little bit idealistic or idealistic, but I think you know it's it's very good medicine to reflect on it, and you know it doesn't mean that we don't experience you know all these different emotions when we meet things on the path you know which which we don't want, but at least you know if we hold it in that bigger intention we have, then we can master the the strength and, and the energy which it, which we need, you know, to to stay open with the experience and not shut down and, you know, go into despair. 
it's it's a, it's like a guiding star, you know, which helps us to to stay on track and not lose the path. This little saying which which I've been studying today, which has from Eugene, where he says, you know, if it's in the way, it is the way. It's a very nice quote, you know, to remember when it gets difficult. It helps us, you know, to not take it so personally and also, you know, remember that it's the same for everybody. And this is a, a very, very old kind of saying, you know, which many, many people who have, you know, realized enlightenment, they have been working in that way. There's this beautiful saying, you know, that the great way is more difficult for, for those who have no preferences. And it sounds very idealistic, but it's very good uh, antidote, you know, if, if we feel sometimes a bit despairing about our situation. It can, it can help us to, to bring some space and some lightness into the path. And then we can learn, you know, from whatever is happening, gives us a lesson, we learn from it and, and we let it go. And then we are more ready for what comes next. And, you know, and it might sometimes, you know, be a little bit embarrassing to really, you know, kind of see what's underneath our expectations, but it's much less painful than to just kind of keep on clutching onto them. And I was, I was on a walk today with a very good friend and you know, we were speaking about expectations and you know sometimes they can be pretty absurd you know certain <clears throat> expectation one has and then you know really realizing that underneath there's just like fear basically you know and then releasing this expectation and just you know receiving the fear and and then it's you know for a minute or two, and it's uh, and it, it changes again. It's it's not such a big deal actually. And um, and also my friend, you know, she's a therapist, and she made me aware. She said, you know, some of these expectations, you know, which we have, where we think that we have to be, you know, really wonderful people, have 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 all kinds of great success and fame and, you know, great um, amounts of money and so on and so forth. She said, you know, that it's not, you know, there's also, she said, you know, to consider that, you know, that has also something to do with our kind of the intuition, you know, about this uh, great potential which we all have, you know. And then because of our ignorance, you know, we seem to kind of interpret it in that way, you know, of achieving something very great in the world. But in, in reality, you know, what we intuitively are in touch with is this, uh, you know, the vast view of uh, a mind which is not bogged down by greed, hatred and delusion. 
And you know, as a, as a deluded kind of a worldling, we, we misinterpret that intuition into, you know, maybe some great um, accomplishment in the world. But what we are really in touch with is, is this potential, you know, which we all have. She told me that um, about a place of worship in, in Mexico, like an old Mexican pyramid, you know, from the, she said, I think like the fifth century or so. And she said, you know, it was like a pyramid where on the, on the top of the pyramid it was, like, it was built for a certain deity. And then on the bottom of the pyramid there were all, all around that bottom of the pyramid there were like peasants or certain, you know, kind of people very low down in the hierarchy. They were all around the bottom of the pyramid and they were all very simple um, you know, statues of people, and they had an amulet in the front. And when we, when we could remove that amulet, and there was a, a, a hole in, that, in the chest, and there was like a, a depiction of the same deity, you know, which, which was on the top of the pyramid. Everybody had it in their hearts. So, you know, they had like, they had a different way how they were living out their conventional lives, you know, some were the pawns and some were on the top, the, the, the deities or the priests, you know, but they all had the same potential. And, you know, when, and if you wouldn't remove the amulet and look behind, one wouldn't know, you know, but it was there. Everybody had that same potential within themselves. They found a very powerful... Um, way of, um, you know, depicting that. So, you know, honoring that potential and not kind of getting uh, sidetracked in, uh, you know, projecting it into all kinds of different scenarios, but rather, you know, trusting that if we are opening to that potential and letting ourselves be guided by it and, and see you know how it wants to unfold rather than you know having very kind of solid expectations how it has to be and then you know getting disappointed because it's not happening that way but because of our fixation we overlook lots of possibilities because we are so fixated on a certain way how it should be and we can't see possibilities we lose our energy, we get, you know, frustrated. And we get hijacked, you know, by our own uh, ignorance in that way. So if it's in the way, it is the way. I want to offer this you know, for your reflection tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.